we have been, uh, we started a new series last week, and what we said is that we're going to actually spend some time on this series. It's very trendy if you're in a church that you have series that lasts three to five weeks. Uh, sadly, it's a commentary on what <laughs> leaders think people's attention span is, uh, but we're actually not going to do that because we think this topic is so important, we need to take some time on it. And what we're doing is we're looking at uh, how does personal change happen in our life? <clears throat> I think we all want to change, kind of. Um, and even if we want to change, how do we actually do that? What does it mean? Do you just think happier thoughts or try harder? Or... And what does the Bible have to say about that? Last week, we looked at a better reason to change. The primary reason why people change is happiness. They want to be happier inside. But what we discovered last week is that happiness is actually a symptom, not a root. And so the harder you work on trying to be happier, often it becomes more and more elusive. And so what actually brings happiness is the giving and the receiving of love. And so that is a better reason to change is love. And as you pursue love, you find yourself getting happier almost accidentally. So that's the reason to change. This week, we're going to look at a better ability or power to change. Now, when we uh, think about the obstacles for change, it usually goes in one of two directions of what's making it difficult for us. The first place that we would look is our surroundings. And we would say the primary reason why we find it hard to change, to grow towards love, to be more loving like Jesus, is uh, you, whoever the you is. Uh, it, whether it's our parents or our roommates or our spouse or kids. Uh, but somehow, if we could just find a better set of circumstances, maybe we could change. And so people do this. They go in pursuit of uh, better surroundings. And so people will change jobs, uh, change spouses, move cities, and the hope is that someday I'm going to have the right collection of surroundings that's going to allow me to become the person that I always wanted to be. There's, a, uh, there's this cute uh, cartoon that I saw once, and there's a, a mom... Uh, speaking, it, she looks, has this very tender face, and she's speaking to her son, like a three-year-old son. He's looking up with endearing eyes, and she says to him, uh, you're making it difficult for me to become the mother I always imagined I would be. <laughs> I love that. You know, work with me. I just think that's very funny. So we want to change our surroundings. The second place that we would look, if, if that becomes difficult, is we want to change our inside. And this is mostly about determination or willpower. And so we assume that the reason why we didn't keep all of our New Year's resolutions last year and uh, why we couldn't you know, keep that gym membership going the way that we wanted was that we just didn't have enough determination. And so this time we're going to super duper mean it. We're going to try really hard. And we're going to try to just apply ourselves that much more. And so we think that uh, our surroundings are going to change us or 
our personal desire is going to change us. Willpower. And if you're anything like me, you've discovered that those two sources aren't the whole picture. Yeah, it's good to apply ourselves, and it's good if you can have some supportive people around you, absolutely. But I think that there's another thing going on, and it's a less visible problem, especially if you are from a Western society. It's a less visible problem, and it's really this, evil forces. Ephesians 6.12 says this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, flesh and blood means you and everyone around you. So our struggle is not against humanity. That's, uh, we're, we're, we're not the ultimate problem, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Uh, right now, there are evil forces that are trying to attack you. And I don't know if we notice that. For the longest time, I didn't, I didn't believe in any of that. And if I did, what would it matter? It's all going to be about the choices that I make and how hard I try. So I basically ignored it for lots of years. And it wasn't until somebody, uh, uh, well, actually, it wasn't even somebody praying for me, although that's happened also, but a, a demon left me. I didn't believe in demons. And a demon leaves me, and my life is radically changed, like radically changed. I didn't believe in demons. Uh, sometimes at night... I'm, uh, I'm sleeping, and I wake up, and I'm, I'm pinned to the bed, and there's something uh, covering my mouth. And I, in my head, I pray in tongues, and I, in my head, uh, muffling the name of Jesus, and it goes away. This happens to me. Last Saturday, I'm preparing for this new series. Multiply is starting. And uh, I, am, I am just overwhelmingly attacked with insecurity. I'm thinking, why would, you know, just don't start the series so you don't look like an idiot. And you know that you never make any sense. And you know that uh, nobody's going to be helped. You're only going to embarrass yourself. These are the things that go through my head. So I can chalk that up to my insecurity, and that would be a valid conclusion. I have lots of insecurity. I can share some with you if you'd like someday. Uh, but I get my family around. Fortunately, there's lots of them. And, and they pray for me, and it goes away. So... My surroundings didn't change. My willpower felt like zero at that point. And people pray, and I'm different inside. We've had people living in our house. I remember there was this uh, one fellow. He was a, a recovering uh, cocaine and heroin and alcoholic and addict. He had it all going on. 
And uh, one time he was showering, and he looks in the water, and there's blood in the water as he's showering. He gets out, looks in the mirror, and there's a, there's a scratch that goes from the top of his neck to his tailbone. So you can't do that, right? Demonic presences in our home. We, w- we have doors that would open and shut without anybody downstairs. Kind of freaky, right? <clears throat> so whether it's in us or around us, it's real. And the primary agenda of our demonic enemy is to get you to think that it's all about your psychological dysfunction. It's just you. That's all that's really going on. And if you would just try harder, if you would just mean it more, if you were just more sincere in your Bible reading and prayer, whatever it is, then you'd be just fine. Now, you should read your Bible and pray, but there's another thing going on, and it's demonic. The reality is that we're in a cosmic war. There's a war going on between good and evil, between God and his angels and demons. And what they're fighting over is your soul. That's what they're fighting over. They don't care about Vancouver as real estate. Nobody's investing. Uh, They're not not interested in, in geography. They're interested in ruling people. And uh, right now, you're being fought over by demonic forces, by the Spirit of God. You're being fought over. And what you need to know is that there's no neutral spirits. Some people who have been kind of awakened to this spirit world kind of see it as a, uh, almost like a playground. We can kind of dabble in it. You do a little bit of Ouija board stuff or you go down on Main Street and somebody would be more than happy to, you know, make up something. <clears throat> and it's, it's amusing. And we think that the devil, you know, has horns and a pitchfork and, you know, kind of poking you to do something naughty, which is another word for fun. John 10.10 10 describes what the devil is like. He's called a thief. And the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. This is a metaphor about sheep. And so the sheep gets stolen from God, then gets killed. And then it's not enough to kill it. You want the cark, you want it destroyed. And that's the devil's intent for your life. He wants to steal you away from the love of God, kill you, and obliterate you. And his best tactics are to somehow make it sound like fun what he's offering you, or to disguise himself entirely and get you to think that you're making objective, individual choices that are independent of any spiritual influence. It's not the case. So how are we delivered or set free from demonic powers that would enable us to pursue love and to experience meaningful change? 
The question that we want to ask this morning is how does the enemy gain control of our lives? And it's in two primary ways. The first is through lies. John 8:44 says this, the devil is a liar and the father of lies. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, listen to this. This is just sobering. Um, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. <clears throat> if you're telling somebody who doesn't know about God and you're, you're telling them about Jesus, um, you can assume that they're struggling just because they're rebellious or resistant or don't like you or whatever it is. Those things might be true. But there's a whole other level of things going on called um, the God of this age actually blinding, not enabling them to see the truth. Now, what's even more sobering is that we have a scripture verse that talks about this in terms of Christians. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, The Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith. So they were in the faith, and they've now fallen away. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Well, that's just a little sobering. In the church, doctrines of demons, deceiving spirits. There's a, a, a phrase that I really like, and it's this. It's not, everything you think is not worth believing. Just because you thought something doesn't mean it's true. There are forces that are acting against you that are real, and the primary way, there's two ways, this is one, the, the way that they influence you is to get into your mind and believe their agenda. How can you tell if your thoughts are demonically inspired or inspired by the Spirit of God? There's a really great uh, and simple way that you can tell whether it leads towards love and relationship or it breaks relationship. It's the primary way that you can tell. God always leads us toward, toward himself and toward a love relationship with him and others. If there are thoughts in your mind that alienate you from your family, from your spiritual family, from your boss, you weren't alone in thinking those thoughts. A demon is helping you think that way. Dr. Carolyn Leaf, uh, from I think South Africa, she says this, she, uh, she does lots of work on mapping the brain. She says this, if you realized how powerful your thoughts are, you would never think a negative thought. If you realized just how much you are shaped by what you believe, you would not entertain, you and I would not entertain much of what goes through our minds. 
How do we get free? We defeat lies with God's truth, John 8, 32. The truth will set you free. It's simple and super hard work to have the courage to say this, to, to actually be aware of our thoughts and then question their source and say, is this source worthy of, being, of, of giving it you know, attention and listening to those voices? Is this, is this right? Is this good? And so we want to be students of the Bible, not because we want to impress anybody, but because we have to fill ourselves with the truth of God to be able to detect demonic lies. You've heard it maybe said, if you're in church, it's a clever thing to say, that the way that you can tell whether a piece of money is authentic or not is not so much by analyzing false ones, because there can be lots of different kinds, but by familiarizing yourself with what the real one is like. And as you, as you know that, as you know that feel and that look, then you can detect if something's wrong. The more we are steeped in the Word of God, the more we can detect the truth and the lie. That's number one. Number two is through sin. There are two primary ways into your life and mine, and it's when I believe demonic lies and when I sin. Now, uh, those of you who have been in the church a little bit, I'm going to just take a quick detour because it's super popular and it's not true. Um, Demons do not come into us through traumatic events. I uh, I used to teach this to my embarrassment, that... If, if you experience sexual abuse or uh, something really traumatic happened or a death, anything, uh, that, that in those moments of vulnerability, uh, a demon can come into you. I don't find any support in Scripture that says that that's true. What I do find in Scripture is... In our vulnerability, the enemy says, hey, I can help you with that. Lie number one, don't ever trust men again. That's a lie. And then number two, behave in this way. Be cold-hearted and distant and self-protected. Act like that. And as we believe the lie, and obey that lie, we are now demonically empowered. What we need to understand, this is from John 8, 34. I tell you the truth, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And 2 Timothy chapter 2 tells us to escape from the trap of the devil who tries to take us captive to do his will, to obey him. Now, I'd like you to think about this because I find this to be a helpful way to think, but I think it's a little bit different. Um, Sin is a form of obedience. 
Obeying God's truth is a form of obedience. Who are we obeying? We're obeying God. When you uh, sin, you're obeying the devil who holds us captive to do his will. So you can tell who the authority figure is in your life by who you're obeying. It's not tricky. You know if Jesus is your Lord, it's not about how you feel about him, it's whether you do what he says. Then he's your Lord. If you only do what you say, then you're your Lord. If you do what the enemy says, which is, by the way, always behind you thinking you're doing your own thing, um, he's your Lord. And so as we sin, we are submitting to a new master and giving him control over our life. It's a form of obedience. It's I am now following you. I am submitting to you. And in so doing, I open myself up to your authority, your powers, your influence. So please, um, don't imagine that uh, doing a sin now again doesn't have some supernatural consequences attached to it. It's not like you, you, you obey the devil and then think that that's just a, a free moment that doesn't impact you. It does. I can testify to that personally. And I prayed for many, many people to be free from demonic powers. Freedom comes through obeying a new master. Instead of being a slave to sin, we're a slave to righteousness, doing what our Father in heaven commands us to do. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. There's other verses you'll see on the screen that you can look that up for support. What is helpful to understand then is that sin and lies and demonic control are package deals. Um, as we believe a lie and sin, we open ourselves up to demonic control. I'm trying desperately to make you afraid of sinning and of following lies. I am trying to help you. This is not just some, yeah, no. You harbor bitterness against your boss. You are submitting to demonic powers who want to steal you, kill you, and destroy you. We need to be afraid of being ruled by a tyrant. Like, terrified of being ruled by a tyrant. What, um, what I understand deliverance ministry to be about, I don't see one, electrical outlet, 
is that as we, in an area of our life, it's our sexuality, it's our, our work, our emotions, whatever it is, there's some area of our life that we're believing a lie, uh, acting on that lie. What happens is that area gets plugged into a power outlet, an electrical outlet. And that area becomes energized by demonic power. What Jesus comes to do, 1 John 3, 8, is to destroy the works of the devil by unplugging that, uh, that area of our life from demonic control, and as it says in Mark, restoring to us, putting us in our right mind, restoring to us our free will. And so... The way that we are freed from demonic power is by a greater power, and his name is Jesus. I love the work that we're called to do in John chapter 6, verse 29. It says, uh, uh, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. What if the way that we find freedom to change and to become, to receive love more and to give love more what if the primary work that we're to do is not so much the changing of our surroundings or personal willpower, it's stepping up our faith in Jesus Christ and saying, I need a better deliverer. I have, I have come under the power of a force that is greater than me, and I need a greater force to conquer that force so that I walk in freedom. And there's only one force that is greater. And so our freedom comes through faith, through trusting in him, and then demonstrating that by believing in his truth and walking in his ways. How do we access this power? Is through faith. Mark 9.29 says, this kind can only come out by prayer. Ephesians 6.18, when it's talking about the armor of God, says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Something that God has been uh, uh, highlighting in our church is the call to pray. And uh, I'm hearing it from you, from various sources. Debbie and I are talking about it all the time. And that we're under no illusion that the things that God has given us to do as a community, even the freedom that we're wanting to experience in our own lives, is not going to be experienced outside of prayer. And I can testify that whether I'm being, I'm being pinned to my bed, praying for a friend to be set free from demonic oppression, or asking that God would come and save the lost, prayer powerfully changes the moment. And the more we pray, the more we have open skies for the presence of God to come in and fill us Renew us and change the world around us. So if you want to be unplugged, submit yourself to a greater power. Let his power flow through you, and you'll experience the freedom of God. In conclusion, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 summarizes what we've said so far, and it says this. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. 
I remember reading to my kids a book called The Magic Bicycle. And, uh, and there's this uh, kid who goes into a demonic world, and he carries a gun from this world. And he tries to fight off evil using a gun. And the demon says, that weapon doesn't work here, and just melts the gun. We need a greater power. We don't fight with physical force. On the contrary, the weapons we have have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So we've had a power that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take, thought, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we have powers, we have knowledge, we have obedience. As we pray, as we believe the truth and walk in obedience, we're set free from darkness and live in the light. Here's the issue. We all want, I think, revival. The Spirit of God to come in power, transform us, transform our social spheres, our city, the nations. I can't tell you how much I long for that. The truth is, it's war. I said this uh, quote a few years ago. It's worth saying again. It's by Edmund Burke. All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. All that's required for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Just sit there and evil wins. I'm, I'm moved by those, uh, there's a group of pastors, I didn't know about it, I would have joined. I, got, I didn't get the memo. Who are coming to, uh, to say that the new curriculum about sexual orientation and gender identity is, uh, is not helpful. Of course we should be defending the rights of everyone to not be bullied, to be respected, to be loved. That's a Christian mandate that we should all be known for. We should be known for what we are for more than what we're against. And we need to stand up for people and defend them. But love doesn't always mean agreeing. It doesn't always mean that. If you're a parent, you know this. Uh, there's a war going on, and I, I concern myself that the church is clear about what we're against than fighting for what's true. I remember back in the day, it's not so uh, trendy right now, but back in the day, uh, you would go to uh, abortion clinics and picket and show really graphic pictures, not super nice. I understand the heart. Uh, I think a better response is to, uh, is to love those who have an unplanned pregnancy. But this hardly costs me anything. 
inviting a woman out of wedlock is better and it'll cost you something and now you're in the fight you're doing something and that means that evil is not winning in that moment righteousness and love is so let me ask you in closing uh, will you take up arms don't fight against the physical world Ephesians 6 says that that's not our enemy Will you fight against evil powers and forces that are ravaging you and I and everyone around us all the time, all day long? Will you take up arms and say no to that and demonstrate that no, not so much with a picket sign, but with acts of love and faith? That we will involve ourselves in bringing God's kingdom reign to earth. You know, uh, worship team, you can come up. It's, uh, it's hard for me sometimes because I feel like when I preach, I have to give you a reality check. I don't like the job. I would rather just tell you that Jesus loves you and everybody around you and I'd be absolutely true. But unless we figure out that evil exists, spiritual powers exist, and we apply ourselves through truth, obedience, and prayer to fight against those powers, we're dishonoring his name, and we are not allowing love to win. Father, I pray that you would awaken us to this battle. I just think of the next generation that's constantly hunting, at least the guys are, constantly hunting for a new video game to beat something. But all that's required for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing and beat a stupid game. Father, would you give us the grace to awaken us to a bigger, more important battle that's real and unfortunately that's winning a lot of the time in which you put in us a holy hatred for evil and that we would care so much as to enlist I think of those who enlisted in world wars in the past and it's so hard for me to even understand what would motivate them to risk physical death or sometimes worse what goes through somebody's mind to want to do that would you do that in our mind would you awaken us to the horror of evil would you give us the grace to draw a line in the sand and say no more? And would you give us the grace to pick the right enemy? Not some doctor that performs abortions or somebody who's writing curriculum for schools. Would you give us the grace to not fight against flesh and blood, but to resist demonic powers? that are having way too much influence 
in and around us. Oh, Father, come in your power. Convict us, enlist us, and empower us.